Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. And that makes this HTML, Clone Wars, Force Wars, Force Legacy, Force Star Things. I was going to try and make some sort of like lightsaber sound effect, but it just wasn't coming to me. (laughs) Or like a pew, pew, because like the blasters, I don't know, just can't get them out today. Well, you know, one of the things that's been so interesting about this project that I've really enjoyed about trying to track the narrative flow of Star Wars is that, you know, it really turns out that there are room for all sorts of different lightsabers in this universe. I feel like I'd been given one general Jedi over and over again and now instead all of these Jedi generals are so different so unique so fantastic and even when the narrative only focuses on the core group like you know the amount of Obi-Wan and Anakin we're gonna have in this episode the wealth of fantastic new characters especially in these two three parters were just top-notch and not just new characters but also shedding light on existing characters in new ways like how badass it turns out the Jedi librarian can be and you know, part of it that makes this maybe, I guess, a little tricky is because we're watching this like vaguely out of order in order to be out of order to be in order, it makes some of this a little bit tricky. Like I found myself fucking mind blown by how cool Cad Bane was right away. You know, number one, he kind of looks like Linda Perry in a gas mask. Number two, no, that's really it. He looks like Linda Perry doing a Predator cash play. And I really, really am into that, it turns out. But we skipped his first episode because we're watching this in the order that Lucasfilm wants us to watch it in. Which is fine because that means that we got to skip a Zero the Hut episode for now. Oh boy, I'm so gay and so big and pink. The first three-parter that we watched, which was the, I guess, chronological introduction to Cad Bane, was entries 25 through 27 of the Star Wars chronological episode list, season 2, episodes 1 through 3. And, you know, I, I hate to be that guy, but when this thing opened with, Jedi are trapped on Fallujah, Kevo and I just looked at each other and went, the Jedi are trapped in Fallujah? Yeah, did someone not, like, catch that that little homophone and how it might not necessarily be the greatest name to give a planet? Well, like, fucking Mace Windu face plants through a window. So, you know, there's just too much cutesy in the Star Wars universe. Not that I think Fallujah is particularly cutesy. You know, it's an important area and a major, you know, so back to Star Wars. Well, it's the way that a lot of things are based on words and concepts that exist. I forget what Ilum was based on that I was reading about, but there's something in ancient Greece. Like everything's based on something. It's not as original as you would think. One thing that I found kind of original to this episode, I kind of loved the ranking clones. There was something to be said about, like, I feel like, oh, there are clones that are above other clones. And so much of this has felt like kind of the same turnover. So even in this amazing three-parter where we get a whole bunch of Jedi shit, there was, like, clonular development. I also thought it was really cool getting a further look at certain pieces of canon. In this first episode, Holocron Heist, written by Paul Dini and directed for the last time by Justin Ridge, we saw, well, Holocrons and the library and got more information about 
all the stuff that is in the Jedi archives. Our only real experience so far in this chronological watch order has been Obi-Wan talking to the little old Jedi librarian lady and her being like, well, if it's not in my library, it doesn't exist. And then it turns out that there's an entire clone army out there. Oops. One of my notes is literally Jedi holocrons are all the rage. It felt like kind of that way that, you know, maybe the Wayfinder was important in episode nine. Like, okay, trinkets. The original trilogy, not so much with the trinkets. The prequel trilogy, not so much with Jedi trinkets. It really feels like Clone Wars and the sequels are all about like magic books and cool sticks. I think there are things that are things in the original trilogy, like the Death Star plans are a pretty hefty MacGuffin, but it's hard to think of that as like a trinket so much as, you know, a USB stick, basically. Once again, our main cast seems to focus on Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, Anakin, kind of like our Holy Trinity here, kind of like our Luke, Han, and Leia, I guess, with like, you know, a little bit of Obi-Wan thrown in, uh, because it's actually Obi-Wan. Fascinating. But, you know, with this massive expansive universe, I feel like it's so important to have these grounding characters to come back to. I don't know that I wouldn't, I don't know that I would care if we never had somebody to ground us, if, if we didn't have somebody to bring me back to to go, oh, right, the people of this war, I don't know that I would connect as closely as I do. And while it wasn't the focus of the episode, I think it was really important to have this season premiere have an element be Ahsoka getting in trouble and being punished. She was kind of treated a little bit too much like a magical girl who can do no wrong in the first season. You know, she was given orders by her master and, you know, treated like a child occasionally, but she was also given a ton of room to do whatever she wanted for someone who's like around 14 years old. So seeing her not only take too much liberty, but then be punished for it was a really good way to start off this season. I also really appreciated them acknowledging that they give her so many liberties because of her advanced abilities, because we talked a lot throughout the first season of she's just way too special, and it was nice to see them acknowledging, yes, she is special. And in that specialness like even her punishment is kind of shiny she's on guard dude like she's still entrusted with big shit and like she deserves it she's great but you know who's the star of this episode for me the librarian that was i guess i just didn't see it coming like super cool badass librarian jedi yeah okay there would be media studies jedi i'm into it I also love her because she really reminds me of Myrtle from Superstore. Like, she always has reminded me of that actress, so I just think she's adorable. One of the only things that stood out to me in this episode was that they were trying to create a lot of cross plots that would come together in one apex moment, and I'll be honest, the point in which in my notes I wrote, yeah, I'm reaching the breaking point, oh, nope, it suddenly came together, all of the plots intersected, and it kind of felt to me like, like sort of like a behind-the-scenes way, the the work of a more experienced, better run staff. Not that season one didn't have a lot to love, but season two feels like they've maybe got their shit together a little bit and they understand how to use 22 minutes better. They understood how to use a movie just fine, but 22 minutes kind of was sticky for them. And you should grow from season to season. You know, you want consistency throughout, obviously, but, you know, it's really good to see when people come into themselves. This was an experiment that 
had never really been tried on this scale before, a Star Wars television show. And they made some mistakes in the first season, but hit a lot of it out of the park. And so to see them continue to grow in positive ways into season two is really cool. I was also really proud of myself for immediately catching Seth Green's voice when he appeared as Toto 360. And I will never stop being sad that that droid is dead. He was so cute. I think he's coming back, but I don't know if it's the same one or just like the same model. But he was adorable. And, you know, we had a few other new characters introduced this episode, and one of them was I, the, the shapeshifter. Have we always said, like, shapeshifters? Yes, episode two. Actually didn't realize that myself until about halfway through this episode when we saw the shapeshifter in their natural form. And I was like, oh, oh, like that lady with the dart to the neck. Tell us now! I'm going to have to believe you because tell us now Dartneck Lady isn't coming to mind. But, you know, she started beating on an old lady and then she was the old lady. And I was like, that is not where I thought this episode was going. You splice in a heist to Star Wars. I'm all about it. And now they're shapeshifters and I'm still there. But you beat on the old lady and I'm not sure I'm into it. We're also, I think, still a little bit confused. Like, okay, she, the shapeshifter definitely had like hologram clothes for when they shapeshifted, I think. But did they shapeshift the Jedi librarian lady's lightsaber or did they steal it from her? I couldn't tell exactly. I hope stole it because I feel like a lightsaber shouldn't be something you should be able to easily replicate, but I don't know. And, you know, so much of what this arc is about deals with like what a Jedi is and kind of like does the light lightsaber clone or not and it sounds like i'm being silly but we find out that they were after a list of jedi babies that are being held by a guy named bola rapal and i'm like bola rapal's drag race what bola rapal's pod race oh my god Ah. Yes, we find out that their evil plan is the same as the first evil's plan from Buffy, which is to kill a bunch of Jedi before they can be activated as Jedi, which leads us into part two of this arc, season two, episode two, Cargo of Doom, written for the last time by George Christick and directed for the last time by Rob Coleman. So they sort of kicked off this season by giving some nice goodbyes to some of the season one people, huh? I I guess, yeah. The end media res storytelling of this show is just like out of control in a good way, not like bad out of control. Good out of control. It's really fascinating that we start things off with Annie's attack or like, you know, the attempt to smuggle the holocron. I think by skipping all of this setup, they're finding ways to keep the Star Wars groove without giving up too much of what makes Star Wars so Star Wars. And yet continuing to push the envelope of what Star Wars can do. We definitely saw Cad Bane straight up murder a Jedi right on our TV. Also, side note, speaking of adult things that happen in this show, everything animated Anakin does is hyper erotic and I need them to think about this. Yeah, I can't tell if it's just that he's played by Matt Lanter or if it's that Matt Lanter's Anakin is specifically that much, dare I say it, better than film Anakin. I I don't know. I don't know, but I'm into it. One of the things that maybe made me like Cad Bane is like, I feel like so many of the Star Wars universe are like, ah, do not give up this person. And they are precious and there's no other way to get my answer. But here he's like, oh, I accidentally killed that one. All right, get me another. Like Cad Bane's kind of crazy in a way I really resonate with. They did do something that annoyed me with Cad Bane, though, where he asks for full functionality of the entire ship to be transferred to his little wrist device. And I'm like, you know, I'm not saying that it's impossible, but all this technology just always seems to be super easily compatible. 
However, on the flip side, I thought using the airlock as a cell for a prisoner to create leverage to be able to just jettison them out into space, very fucking clever. And you know, I really liked that Ahsoka kind of played into the trap a little too well. I love Ahsoka. I really do. And I think she's terrific. But if she doesn't make mistakes, she's hard to love. Not that I need, you know, my characters to all have flaws or anything. But if she always wins, I'm like, why aren't you in episode three, girl? Why aren't you in episode four? Why aren't you in episode five, six, the Mandalore? Oh, right. (laughs) They pushed my annoyance tolerance level on battle droids a little further this episode again, where the one battle droid like literally just gives up. When he sees Anakin coming and says, what's the point? We literally don't even see humans say that in the face of Jedi. But battle droids are like, what's the point? They're just gonna kill us. I really need a battle droid to play the center square now. Yeah, I'm on board with that. You know, and one of the things I did love about Cad Bane's, like, sinisterness is, yeah, he's smart enough to know that Ahsoka's not gonna have the answers that Anakin might have. There's sort of like a a hard way to sustain a gambit, you know, to keep someone's interest going for one, two, three episodes on sort of like the same what's happening. I feel like Cad is a good villain for that in a way that the battle droids, as Kevo pointed out, are pretty weak. So the holocron is basically a Hellraiser puzzle box and I'm like, okay, I want one. Mmm, and very pretty. Also pretty, Anakin batting that rubble off himself and then later on in the episode being like, if by success you mean I won. Yeah, you know, like, I love this cocky Anakin. It's kind of like I love Ben Solo. I love cocky Anakin. I love, like, confident 20-year-old Anakin who's like, look at me lead. This is my Padawan. I don't have a rat tail anymore. I don't know. He's being pretty snarky for a guy who just fucked up a lot of shit. And I think it's really interesting that we are starting to see his admiral buddy start to grow a little weary of Anakin's behavior. I think that that's starting to sow the seeds of dissent against the Jedi a little bit in some fun ways. Speaking of Jedis and being unlikable, you know, we're about two minutes from Yoda being like, "Mm, too far gone that kid is. Bye. Jedi make really unlikable choices. Yeah, the final part of this arc, Season 2, Episode 3, Children of the Force, written by Henry Gilroy and Wendy Merkel, and directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. There's a moment in this where they're trying to figure out which children of the Force they should be trying to go and protect. They're having this little Jedi meditation circle, and they get a sense of one baby on the planet of Glee Ansem, and when questioned on whether or not they should go after this child Yoda's like no it's already taken by the dark side we gotta focus on their shit what and you wonder why Anakin is like from where I'm standing you're the one who's evil yeah there's some weird shit in this episode and not just stuff like that I really don't love the introduction of Mustafar to Anakin's journey here I don't know it just makes me feel really weird about episode 3 stuff I don't hate Mustafar being used here because one of the things that I'm going to be talking about a lot a lot a lot is that Mustafar is very strong with the dark side of the force and like that's a thing so the emperor bringing all the force sensitive children to Mustafar not dumb but when you watch episode 3 you get the sense that this is the first time Anakin has ever been here so the fact that it's not and the fact that he tracked the force sensitive babies down to Mustafar and then doesn't think anything of the fact that Palpatine sends him there in episode 3 
I don't know. It just, it creates too deep a tangle for me that I'm really dissatisfied. Also, what the fuck is Sith surgery? Like, they're going to have a surgery to make them better Sith or something? No, he wants to brainwash them. Because there's a lot of brainwashing shit in Star Wars. It's a lot of how the clones are raised to be better soldiers. And then there's going to be more of it in the sequel stuff. And, like, that's how Finn was bred to be a soldier. And, like, all this stuff. Like, there's a lot of brainwashing. And that's what he's talking about. He wants to do, like, some brainwashing shit to make these little baby Jedi into Sith assassins, I guess. Starting with a cute little baby that Cad Bane, like, steals from a mom and is, like, I guess dramatically slowly exiting with. So when the Jedi show up and they get there just in time to see the baby leaving, she's like, oh, I wish I could stop this. Well, there goes my baby. Oh, I done fucked up. Like, and she's such a dick to them when they show up. I don't know. I, I You never want to say, lady, you kind of brought having your baby stolen on yourself. But Cad Bane is so fucking creepy. And I can't imagine that he was carrying a lightsaber to prove that he was a Jedi. Not that you can't steal a lightsaber off of a dead Jedi, apparently. But, like, he had nothing to prove himself. And she was just like, sure, take my baby. And then when these guys show up and say the same stuff about, like, there's people stealing babies. Babies. She's like, maybe you're the baby stealers. I, people are just too dumb in this world. The baby is really cute, though. Like, seeing a baby Rodian and seeing a baby Gungan in this episode, they've introduced so many baby species that it's really no surprise that we eventually got a baby out. You know, and I want to point out, you said that some stuff here was creepy. Nothing is as creepy as all of the Jedi working together to mind meld on this dude. That is, like, the creepiest shit. Yeah, how do we forget to talk about that? Like, we're seeing Jedis doing a lot of weird stuff in this three parter in this episode they do their little coffee clutch of trying to like find all the babies in the galaxy that might be in danger and then the previous episode three jedi gang up on a dude to jedi mind trick him at once and like are we gonna ever talk about that again because we're in the next episode and they kind of are all pretending they didn't use torture on someone and you know you can even kind of see the torture get to ahsoka for a moment even though she was all gung-ho on it at first afterwards she's clearly kind of like um bad plan Speaking of bad plans, if they hadn't realized this was a trap, I would have gotten really annoyed. And, you know, thinking ahead, there's something so sinister about anytime Anakin has a scene with Senator Palpatine. There's so much creepy in this episode. I can't stop naming creepy. I loved Palpatine as Sidious as a hologram telling his entire evil plan to these medical droids, though. Like, it must be such a lonely life for Palpatine. He just he just wants someone to tell how cool his evil plan is. But that's the problem with being a Sith. You've got no room in your life for friends. Can you imagine Palpatine being like, Dooku, you wanna get a beer? So what are you doing after this? I'm planning evil. I have to go mend my capes. You wanna do it over a beer? No. I don't think it would go very well. That was a bad bit. Your Palpatine sound effects are kind of very similar to your Xenomorph sound effects, which I'm okay with. I have a second mouth. Are the teeth fucked up on that mouth, too? You know what I loved? I loved that Anakin was like, oh, I'm cross-referencing Jedi stuff using, like, this little Jedi trick. I'm cross-referencing the fuel computer with the flight plan. I actually really loved that. And it kind of reminded me why I hate Palpatine being such a good Sith. Because he didn't go to Jedi school. He doesn't know all of their tricks. And that's a cool trick. Okay, yes, that was clever, but the fact that they weren't immediately like, maybe that's where the babies are. They were like, okay, I guess we can go check out and see if something is there. Maybe. Like, you didn't even consider the possibility that that's where the babies were. And that's where they fucking were. You're stupid. 
Yeah, I'll admit the conclusion on this three-parter feels very, okay, quick, we have about three more minutes. Let's get it done. Get it done. Get it done. Get it done. There was a lot of cute bits. R2 had some nice moments. There were some cute floating babies. You know, Cad Bane used a baby as a shield. What's not to love? But at the end of the day, it just kind of feels like it ends. Yeah, this is another one of those stories where I feel like they introduced several really great story concepts that any one of which could have sustained several episodes to themselves and then immediately dispatched them. And I don't know if any of this is going to come up again. You know, Palpatine's plan to use Force babies against the Jedi. I feel like I might have seen that there's possibility that it does, but... My Force baby spy bomb! I'm starting a daycare. So the next episode we are going to talk about is Season 2, Episode 17, Bounty Hunters, written by Carl Ellsworth and directed by Stuart Lee. This episode, in terms of airing, comes after the first episode that we ever watched of Clone Wars, and the guy who wrote this episode also wrote Episode 10, which we still have yet to watch. I'm really sorry for how confusing all of this is. Really blame Lucasfilm. Ultimately, I feel like the narrative that being pieced together for me hits my needs as a storytelling person like I enjoy loving the clones like I love the clones and I enjoy loving the clones I'm just thinking about the episode Cat and Mouse and Anakin trying to get past Tarantula Trench to get to Christophsis and I'm trying to think how that episode would hit directly before this one and like I just I don't understand all of this time jumping stuff and I don't understand how you understand what they were doing as it was airing. No question there. And no, like, I, that's something I've said since the beginning. Like, I find myself sort of like, what the fuck? So basically, this episode is just that episode of The Mandalorian where he teaches the village how to fight for themselves, which, you know, is a common trope. So I'm not trying to make fun. This isn't the first time anyone's ever done it before. And I think that this version being pirates that need help is a very interesting variation on the trope. Oh, that must be a Civic rolling in because here comes Hondo! I do love Hondo. I think he is so silly. Maybe part of why I love him is the fact that he is part of the Smuggler's Run attraction at Galaxy's Edge. And I think that's amazing, but he's just fucking ridiculous. And because he's so silly, he's kind of scary in that way that he's so silly, he's scary. And he makes for a good opponent for Obi-Wan, who it was nice to see step up and be like Obi-Wan this episode and not just some guy. I did not love the fact that Hondo's pet rat thing is able to like drive a tank though. That's like, I don't know. And I wonder if it's because we've seen the trope so many times that it feels like the gambit draws out a little bit more on this episode than some of the others. Not a bad episode by any stretch, but because we know that the ultimate conclusion is going to be in line with sort of like the natural way these stories go, we're waiting to get there. There's cute little spins like the little spin they did on Walk Softly and Carry a Big Stick, but you know, ultimately I do wonder if this episode would have worked better as a two-parter. And it's not that there isn't enough story, but the battle feels like it took too much of the episode. And, you know, I love Hondo's staff and his little monkey fucker, and it's a lot of fun, but you either needed more in this episode or less. But I don't know that this hit 22 minutes the way I wanted, or 24, 51, whatever Disney Plus tells us every time. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, Hondo's departure is actually great, that he's like, I'm leaving because this isn't profitable anymore. Goodbye, goodbye. He's not even defeated. In his, like, you know, I mean, obviously he's defeated, but he's like, uh, 
I gotta go, but it was cool to see you all. Uh, my terms. There's something very Captain Jack Sparrow about Hondo, and I think that's probably why I enjoy him so much. We met a lot of really cute, fun, interesting characters this episode. There are a lot of, like, side characters every single episode, and I don't think that I'd been anticipating that as much, just this huge cavalcade of characters that we may or may not ever see again. And, you know, speaking of things that you feel like should come up again, the next two-parter had the most... Was it a dragon? You know, this episode title was one that had caught my eye before, and I really did not know what to expect. The two-parter that we will be discussing now is Season 2, Episodes 18 and 19, The Zillow Beast and The Zillow Beast Strikes Back. This first episode was written by Craig Titley and directed by Giancarlo Volpe, who actually directed Craig Titley's previous episode to this one, Blue Shadow Virus. Kind of cool hearing that there's like partnerships in these episodes, even if it's unintentional. I like hearing that there's like a natural flow to some of these team ups. And okay, the Zillow monster, this played like a number of really cool tropes. There was some King Kong, there was some Godzilla. It all really worked for me. If anything, I kind of hate that more of the Clone Wars isn't like this. There was some evil palpy, there was some question of war, morality, the force. What is a creature? What is cloning? What is science? What is an acceptable quest in the name of science? What is moral science? There was so much in this two-parter that I feel like maybe that's why I walked away from this watch session being like, hell yeah, because this two-parter was what I wish more of Star Wars was ballsy enough to do. Unfortunately, there were still a few things in these episodes that I was like, no, people aren't allowed to ride R2-D2. It's bad enough he has rocket jets. You can't ride him too. No, but, uh, you know, there were a lot of things about this two-parter that were really absolutely out of the park as well. The score on this was unbelievably unique and cinematic. The way that they conveyed the scale of the Zillow Beast was really amazing. I completely agree on the parallels, first in Godzilla in this episode, and then to King Kong in the second episode, plus any number of kaiju giant monster tropes that were hit on in these episodes in really fun and interesting ways. And yet we got to see more of things that already exist in this universe as well. We got to meet the planet of the Sebulbas. And you know, like I, it's so important to remember that because they're trying to access storytelling tropes, you know, there are some like monster at the beach things. There are some monster in the city things, some monster in the country. And like they kind of hit it all. And I felt very satisfied by the representation of the storytelling they were connecting back to. There was a wide openness to the landscapes in the first part of this episode that felt very honest and felt very realized. I also, again, I am such a big fan of when the Star Wars universe has to battle an element of the universe as opposed to necessarily Palpatine holding all the cards all the fucking time. Yeah, you know, in looking at my notes, I think that my problems with this two-parter were really more in the second one, The Zillow Beast Strikes Back, written by Stephen Melching and directed by Stuart Lee, and a lot of them seem to be centered around Palpy as well. I am spitting angry that Palpatine got to say I have a bad feeling about this and then they poured lemon juice in my open cut by allowing Palpatine to ride R2-D2 to safety. 
What? I had this mental image of like an old man being like, I feel safe going on this E.T. ride here at Universal. And like, he was just very Kathy and Jimmy getting on the vacuum in Hocus Pocus. There was just, I, I was really annoyed by it. Like it specifically felt like a betrayal of my fans. Just like flames, flames on the side of my face. And you know, what's really interesting that I found in my research is apparently the idea of the Zillow Beast latching onto Palpatine and chasing after him came from George Lucas. I think it was more of just a note than it was a specific directive. So it's interesting to see that the way that the staff then took that and carried it and sort of, you know, when when we saw Padme at the start of this episode, I was like, shit, they're going to Fey Ray Padme. I'm so mad. And instead, they kind of Fey Rayed Palpatine. And, you know, I just, speaking of people that show up in this episode, Bale! Bale was just, like, fucking hanging out! And Ayla! One of the reasons that I love the medium of animation so much is because you're able to do things like that. You can see these characters in the background, even if you aren't necessarily able to get their voice actor, which is inherently easier to do in animation in the first place. And, you know, something, it took a minute for it to, to really sink in, but George Lucas suggesting that the Zillow Beast attached to Palpatine, you know, I actually saw a lot of parallels between Annie and the Zillow Beast, an incredibly powerful creature that Palpatine is looking to exploit as a weapon in the name of his war. He's hoping to use the scales of the Zillow Beast to create impenetrable armor. There is so much that fits Star Wars taking advantage of a creature, the last of its kind, the one of its kind. Star Wars is such a universe about uniqueness and the way uniqueness can be exploited, cherished, nourished, developed. And, you know, it seems like the bad seed really is Palpatine. Everything he touches turns to death. And I I start to wonder if maybe I can forgive all of the things I hate about Palpatine because maybe, like, maybe Sith is like a river running through the Force and he's just the estuary of evil struary. He really kind of is, and it's always something with him. Ending this episode on that note of Clone the Beast was, um, you know, it made me laugh in a way, because, like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? But, you know, he always has a plan. He always has a contingency. He's always plotting something, which is all the more why I think it would have been a disservice not to bring the Emperor back in the sequel trilogy. There might have been better ways to handle it, but he really did ultimately need to come back and be this half-formed, half-alive creature who was finally put down. And frankly, if we told a story where a thousand years from now, Palpatine resurfaced again, I wouldn't be surprised because he really does seem to have his hand in everything. I didn't love the Zillow Beast itself in terms of design. I thought it was a little bit too strange with the extra arm on the back and, you know, how stick-like it is. It sort of looked like a gamma-irradiated Pascal from Tangled. Yeah, and a little bit like Russell from Monsters, Inc., and I don't know. I can see why they haven't brought the Zillow Beast back and why they frankly don't have plans on bringing it back. Creating a creature of this scale was pretty hard for the animators, and, you know, I think the opening scene of them delivering the Zillow Beast to the planet with this Star Destroyer touching
crouching down on Coruscant actually kind of immediately took the urgency out of the story for me because it brought to mind how small the creature really is in compared to some of the other sizes of things. Like when, you, when you're comparing it to the size of a Star Destroyer and this big open space of a planet, you're really reminding us how small some things are in the grand scheme of the overall Star Wars galaxy. So that kind of invalidated the sense of danger for this episode for me right out the gate. And I just found the creature so strange. I loved the giant monster concept, but I don't necessarily need to see this giant monster again. And there's something about you saying the smallness of this story because of it. And I don't feel like I'm learning anything from the Clone Wars. Like, I feel like I walked away from the Mandalorian season one emotional. I feel like I walk away from Rogue One emotional. I feel like I'm just getting some cool sci-fi stories here, but they're making me a bigger Star Wars fan. And I like that. I think it's because the area of war that the Clone Wars is exploring is one that is so small with such a specific background and outcome of it was all orchestrated by Palpatine. The people who thought they were fighting the bad guys were actually fighting for the bad guys the entire time versus, you know, Rogue One, that is the true alliance to restore the Republic trying to take down the Empire. At least so far, there hasn't been revealed to be any sort of shadowy Palpatine pulling their strings. Those were the real deal. And the Mandalorian is the first look that we're getting at post-imperial life and pre-rise of the First Order. These things are giving us insights into areas of Star Wars history that are still a mystery. Whereas the Clone Wars is really just, and I don't mean this insultingly, forcing a lot of story into a very small amount of space where the outcome absolutely cannot be changed. I had just been mentioning something to you about seeing something talking about what a grand mistake the Jedi Order makes with Ahsoka, and the fact of the matter is, anything that the Jedi Order did with with Ahsoka is after the story of the Jedi Order falling already exists. So anything that we're cramming in here is just really beefing up backstory, but you always know what the outcome is going to be. Wait a minute, did Palpatine form the First Order? I feel like the answer there is sort of yes and sort of no, but we'll get further into those details, I believe, as we get into Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Resistance. We still have so much Star Wars animated to go. Well, until we can get to the next five seasons of Star Wars Clone Wars, Kevo, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kevo Reilly, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And you can find me on the Facebook page for this program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action. You can also find our super fun superhero comic, Kid Riot, over at KidRiotComics.com. Nico, where can the folks find you? You guys can find me all over this network on Mondays and Thursdays on Excess for Podcasts, Talking 80s Mutant Mania on Throwback Thursdays, as well as We Are Krakoa Modern Monday. Don't forget to check out my Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, until we come back, keep those kyber crystals burning. May the force be with you and also with your force ghost. Pew, pew! Pew!